C'è la luna mezza mare, mamma mia, mamma redare. Welcome everybody, back. The greatest guest we ever had. He said he'd come back on and he is. This is Hollywood Godfather Podcast, part two with Patrick Bed David. A genius of all geniuses. And we, we have a topic that it's ironic because we're, other than Megan doesn't have sons. You're talking to Pat who has two sons. You have two sons and a daughter. I have two daughters, nine sons, nine grandsons. And on what's going on in this world, how would you advise our children, our grandchildren, to succeed in the world we're about to be introduced to, that none of us have really been introduced to before? There's a lot of fear out there, Patrick. There's a lot of fear out there. And, and, and uh, you know, when, when there's fear out there, there's a couple things you have to know about. So uh, the, the first thing I do when, when things like this come out, unfortunately, most people spend way too much time uh, thinking about things they have zero control over. You know, the old philosophy of Stoicism, which was ran by Mar Marcus Aurelius, was one of the guys that became the main name. It was started by a guy named Seneca. And Seneca used to be part of a philosophy called Cynicism. And you ever heard the, 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 the name cynic? You know, you're such a cynic, you're such a cynic. Well, there was a philosophy called cynicism. And cynicism what? believed that anything bad, if it can happen, it's going to happen. Almost like the original Murphy's Law, right? That was called cynicism. And Seneca one day sitting around these guys like, listen, man, I just can't do this anymore. You guys are way too negative. I'm going to start stoicism because I believe we're in charge of everything that happens in our lives. And we got to kind of try to control what we have control over. So Seneca takes the lead. And then you got a few other names that come out of it. And then Marcus Aurelius kind of took it and became the most beloved emperor they had in Rome. And he did a few things. When he was running the country, they had a massive pandemic, by the way. One of the best things to read about is how Marcus Aurelius handled the pandemic because they lost 12 million people, a large amount of their population. They lost at a time like that. And he kept you know, going around, bringing in the right doctors, trying to find the right people, come out with the medicine. And he says, we're going to do what we can do to control. And then we're not going to think about the stuff we don't have any control over. Today, way too many people are stressed out about things they don't have any control over. What people do have control over is the following. Here's the reality of it. There's three different types of people right now in America that are going through this pandemic. The first group is those who went through it in 2008, went through it in 01 with 9-11, who have been through it with John F. Kennedy's assassination, who went through it with MLK's assassination, who went through Robert Kennedy's assassination, who went through Ronald Reagan's attempt on assassination when they did that in D.C., and they overcame it. And some of these guys who went through a tragedy like this said, listen, this is never going to happen to me ever again. I'm going to have money in place. I'm going to make sure no one's going to be able to put me out of business. I'm going to make sure no company can fire me and put me in a situation where I have to beg for money to take care of my family. There are those today who are going through this pandemic who are not at all affected by it because they've been prepared for a time like this. Well, I'll tell you two, two main things about stoicism, and I've been reading about stoicism all my life since I got out of Vietnam. One, as you say, do not be concerned with things you have no control over. That's one. And yep. two, do not be concerned about what other people think of you. And it's the truth. It it's is the, the truth. truth. So, Absolutely. So, so the first kind is those, got are those, those who are prepared for times like this. The second kind are those who are kind of just relying for the government, government to bail them out with the next $2.2 .2 trillion one that's coming out and 
you know, and, and they'll get paid for 38 weeks and they're relying on unemployment because 3.28 million people apply for unemployment. It's the record breaking most ever. The most prior to that was in October of 1982, which was 659,000 people. This is after the Carter era when interest rates were 16%. We've never had 3.28 million people apply for unemployment in a week and 100,000 people a day in California. We've not experienced times like this. So the second group are those who will simply rely on unemployment. And over the next 38 weeks, nothing's going to change about them. They're not going to learn a new skill set. They're not going to change themselves mindset-wise. They're not going to get tougher. They're not going to recreate themselves. They're going to be the same exact person. If not, in the next 38 weeks, they're actually going to develop some bad habits because they're going to be able to sleep a little bit more. They're going to sleep more. They're going to rest more. They're going to eat more fat food. They're going to get their energy to be lower. And then after this thing goes away, then they need to get back in the market. But they're no longer good uh, teammate to have as a, in a company because they're probably not going to be hardest working people. Then you have group number three. Group number three are the people that are going through right now that are actually concerned. They're married, they have kids, and they're worried about what's going to happen, but they actually want to get better and they want to get strategies to improve that this will never, ever happen to them ever again. Never again will this happen to them. Those guys, that group has a fighting chance to improve. And the way you got to do it is going to be positioning when you leave this times, because you got to sit there and ask yourself, what's the number one benefit America offers? If you actually think about it, what is the number one benefit America offers? Opportunity. Oppor and what does that mean if we were to unpack what opportunity really means? What is opportunity? I I opportunity to what? Opportunity to... Well, I, I've, I basically lived through this because I, out of all of us, went through a quarantine for five years. I watched an epidemic. And everything you're saying, as I sit here, and people call me now and say, what are you doing? I say, I'm just relaxing, waiting. How could you relax? Because like you said, I'm prepared. I think this epidemic or pandemic is going to prepare so many people subconsciously that when they wake up, they're going to have an energy and a drive and, and be more focused and not just one-dimensional. Because if you're one-dimensional, yeah. you, you're not going to survive th this you're country get anywhere. You, don't you, you think that movie? most people won't do that? You most ever people... seen a movie, The Count of Monte Cristo? Sure. Yeah, of course. Well, you, you know the whole premise of the movie, which the guy takes his girl, and then he gets arrested, and then he meets this guy in prison. He starts reading the right book. He disappears. He comes back. Next thing you know, he puts a party together. It's his party. He invites the girl. The girl brings the guy that he's she's now with. And then she looks at him and she says, wait a minute, your eyes, you look like the man I was crazy about once before. Well, what happened? But how do you have a house like this? It can't be the same guy. See, the, the people in the third community that want to do something, sometimes in life, it's best to disappear and reappear in an upgraded version that nobody recognizes. You. They can't judge you. This is the best time to disappear and reappear as a 3.0 version of you, 4.0. Go learn a new skill set. Go learn how to negotiate. Go learn how to sell. Go devour yourself with the books you have behind you, Patrick. Have somebody yeah. that's sitting there saying, I want to go read books and figure out a new skill set. So 30, 60, 90 days from now, you look at the marketplace and you say, everything is cheap. I'm going to go do XYZ business. I'm going to go position myself to be an entrepreneur. Or maybe I'm going to go position myself to be an intrapreneur, which is be part of a company where I'm an employee, but I think like an entrepreneur, and I fight to get a piece of the company, an equity, and then maybe the company has an exit, and I get my $18 million check. I get my $42 million check. I get my $6 million check. 
Everything is now about disappearing and reappearing, upgraded version of you and positioning yourself, yourself better to create bigger opportunities of creating wealth. So when the next time a black swan shows up, you're not affected by it like the way many people are right now. But do you think that will be uh, most of America or a small portion? I think that's going to be 5% of America that's going to yeah, do anything about that, it. That's, a, a, that's a high estimate. Yeah. yeah. I think it's a very small percentage that's going to do it. And Megan, what are you thinking back there, little girl? I'm wondering how, Patrick, how, where did your business background come from? How did you learn, teach yourself all the things that you're saying right now? So it's, it's funny you ask, Megan. So I, when, I, when I was in high school, I had a teacher. Her name was uh, Miss Collins. And she would always make me read the Mice of Men or That Was Then, This Is Now. I don't know if you remember those two books that we had to read. And I had back. to read it. And she would make me read it. And I hated it because I didn't know how to pronounce government. To me, I pronounced government. Back then, there was Gilligan's Island. I didn't know how to pronounce island. It was Island to me. Why would you put an S there? And make it <laughs> It's a good because, question. Right? I mean, it's like, I don't know. I'm still asking myself that. Wednesday, I would say Wednesday, you know, because of the D. Why do we have a D in there, right? Then just take mm -hmm. it out. Why don't you just take it <laughs> so, so I went in the Army and I got out. And when I got out, I got introduced to my sister. told me to read the book, How to Win Friends and Influence People. And my boss at Bally's, uh, Robbie Solomon, told me to read the book, uh, How to Master the Art of Selling by Tom Hopkins. And I wasn't a sales guy, but I learned how to sell. And I learned how to deal with people. And then from there, 1,600 books later, everything around me is books. I just devoured business books. And the more and more I read, I just couldn't believe what was happening to me. I'm like, I cannot believe all this content is out there for 25 bucks. You mean to tell me I can just go buy these books for 20 bucks, 15 bucks, 25 bucks, and people are willing to share their secrets, people who are in their 60s, 70s, 80s, and they're giving me what worked for them? This is, this is not even fair. And then it's always been said, if you want to keep a secret, write it in a book because no one's going to read about it. You know, best way to put them in a book. Yeah. So so a big part for me was that. And then, uh, again, uh, the, the going back to the same part with interviews, I, I'm always, I've always been curious and I've always asked questions. I've always gone deep into questions. And I think a lot of times when people, ask, you know, they come to me and say, how, how can I be a good, you know, how can I uh, uh, find a good mentor? I said, it's not about finding the right mentor. Mentors are everywhere. It's about asking the right questions. Most people don't ask the right questions. Most people ask the wrong questions. Most people ask, what does it feel like to be worth a couple hundred million dollars? Who cares? Ask me what it felt like when I was broke coming up and I had to figure out a way to, you know, compete in a marketplace in an industry where you're Middle Eastern and you got into Morgan Stanley Dean Witter a day before 9-11 and the people that attacked 9-11 are from where you're from. How did you gain people's trust? How do you do that? How did that happen? That's the questions to ask. Not the questions of today, the questions of where you're currently at to try to see what, like a person's been married for 40 years. The question for me is more about how did you guys last 40 years? No. How many times did you guys always get close to getting a divorce? Oh, I remember one time we were married for three years. We almost got a divorce. How'd you guys get through it? Well, let me tell you what. That's what I want to know. Because there's going to time I want to want to go through a divorce. How do I handle that when I want? Being married is one of the hardest things you'll ever do. How the hell do you make a marriage work when you're just getting started? You know, one of the best advice a woman gave me, this is, in, this is very interesting. My wife and I are pregnant, and I just started the company, and we're building a company together, and it's craziness. I got sued by a $400 billion company. They're trying to put us out of business. And, you know, wife had a miscarriage. And we have our first kid. She's about seven months pregnant. We're sitting outside the porch in our house in Northridge. Uh, and 
one of our clients whom we met at Bed Bath & Beyond, and she was a cashier, come to find out her husband's a millionaire, we ended up rolling over two, three $300,000 of her money, her 401k, and she became a very good friend, like a lady who was in her early 60s, but she always talked to us like she was a mother figure. She was 60 at the time, and I was 31, 32, something like that. One day she's walking past the house, and she says, so, Jennifer, how you doing? Good. How's, how's the pregnancy going? Good. She says, can I give you guys some advice? Sure. It's going to be a little bit weird. Patrick, you okay with it? I'm like, I've gotten a lot of weird advice. It's totally fine. She says, here's some weird advice. This is your first baby, right? Yes. You know, when the baby's born, the first two months are going to be weird. Why? You guys are going to fight a lot. Why are we going to fight a lot? Uh, Patrick, let me talk to you because it's more for you than for your wife. What's that? When the baby's born, you're going to think your wife cares about the baby more than she does about you. And, and your wife's not going to give you any attention. And, and the times that you could go on out there and, you know, have fun with your wife, you're not going to get pleased like you typically are. And it's going to make you want to do something stupid during that time of your marriage. Just think about that. Then I'm like, that was kind of deep. Then she looks at my wife and she says, Jennifer, now I have something to tell you. What's that? You have to figure out a way to please your husband. I'm like, are you freaking kidding me? <laughs> oh are you freaking kidding? So watch what happens. Baby's born. We get into the biggest fight. I'm like pissed off here. You know what the hell is going on? I'm busting my ass. And, and then all of a sudden we're like, that's exactly what she said. And then we had a great session right afterwards because I said, you have, you have to be like, she gave you good advice. You got to take her advice. You know? And then, but, but the, the, the point is that's the advice that we needed to hear. I think too many times people ask the wrong questions uh, when they want counsel for business. And instead, they got to ask the right questions about what you need at the phase you're at with your career to be able to advance yourself to the next level. So I would say for me, I was just very curious. I wanted to learn. When it came down to asking questions, I asked decent questions that helped me out. Well, what I just one got of your out of what you said was surround yourself with the best people you can find. Right. But one of, one of uh, Patrick, one of the statements you made, and I want to clarify for our listeners, being that we're addressing how you succeed, you said it very nonchalantly by saying, my boss at Bally's, meaning Bally's gym, I want people to know that's where you started, man. You're, st you're selling memberships. That's the hope. That's the American dream. And, that, you know, it's, uh, that, that's a big point. It, and, and it, it's ironic because Megan, is in a, is, her father started the way you did. Her father started selling memberships. Now he owns 20 Planet Hollywoods. Gyms. Planet Fitness. Planet, Planet Fitness. Fitnesses. 20 of them. Yeah. He's a franchisee for Planet Fitness, and he's always, a, you know, opening more. But, yeah, he started out behind the counter at, at wow. a gym in And I just heard that for the first time now. today about you two guys. And I'm very close to her father. Respect. I, I, he, yeah, it's, it's tremendous Yeah, you got to start from the bottom. you got to put your time in. So, I mean, yeah, that's great for young people to know. You don't have to go to Bear Stearns. You, you could start selling gym memberships. It's how you tr get these people to believe in you no matter what you're selling. You got to train it. It's like, you know, doing a pitch to a mirror trying to sell yourself. It's, uh, I think, I didn't want, I wanted to go over that because I think that's an important element for any young 
entrepreneur, anybody who's just looking for a job, go get a job in a gym. Look where you can wind up. Hello. <laughs> you, you, you know, you know, it's crazy you say that. Uh, uh, when you when you read about how people moved up companies 40 years ago, 50 years ago, 60 years ago, almost everybody had to go through. If you graduated college, you came and worked for a company and you did sales and you moved up through sales. Once you learn how to do sales, then you went into the next department and the next department and the next department. But you have to learn how to, how to do sales. I think uh, people are not giving too much attention to the skill set of selling and negotiating. You know, it's crazy. My kids, I told myself, I'm going to teach my kids a few things. I said, I talked to these guys. I said, guys, uh, here's what we do as Bed Davids. We lead, we respect, we improve, we love. Okay? Lead in every situation you are at. Respect people because everybody's got something to teach you. Improve because it's the number one thing to give you peace of mind knowing the future is going to be all right. And then love people because everybody needs more love. We don't get bullied and we don't bully people. And then we pray for courage, wisdom, tolerance, understanding. That's what we pray for. Now, outside of that, a couple other things we have to be thinking about as Ben Davids. What's that? We are always negotiating. What do you mean? What is negotiating, Daddy? When you want something, you have to convince me why I should give it to you. What do you mean? So everything is a negotiation, everything. So my son is like, so daddy, let me ask you a question. So, you know, typically you ask me to read one chapter of the book. And if I do that, I'm able to do X, Y, Z. But if, what if I read six chapters in a day? And if I don't play any video games and I don't do any kind of movies, how many days can I go to work with you consistently? Is that enough to take me to work for two straight days? I said, no, you got to do more. So what do I, I don't think it's fair to do that, dad, because I think that's a fair number that I'm giving you. Because if you think about, and he starts negotiating with me and I'm like, awesome, right? Here you go. So everybody in the family needs to learn how to negotiate. Here's the other thing that I do. I buy toys that they want. So if I go into Lego store, they say they want that. You want that? I'll buy. What else you want? I want you. I'll buy that as well. But here's what happens when they get home. It sits all the way at the top where they can't reach it. I have to reach it because it's like 20 feet up. And I put it up for them to see all the toys. And each one of them has an assignment. That toy is nine books. That toy is this. This toy is that. That teaches them of delayed gratification. I think the skill set of selling and negotiating, people are just kind of going like this. We're too much about it. You got to love and you got to. Yeah, you do. Let me tell you something. This is a cold world you're living in. You can't assume when you go out that everybody's Mother Teresa and everybody's Billy Graham trying to just kind of be nice to you. When you go out there, people want a piece of you. And what that means, a piece of you, is if it's between you and them getting a promotion, you better believe it's them. If it's between you and them get dating that hot girl, you better believe it's them. If it's between you and them getting that job, you better believe it's going to be them. When it comes down to that part, it's a competitive environment. So if you don't learn how to negotiate and sell yourself, and then deliver on your promises, you're going to be left behind. So I think one of the skill sets of creating wealth, no matter what route you decide to take, and by the way, that's a very easy thing to do because I went online and I typed in sales and negotiation. I bought every book I could find that had 300 reviews or higher. Let me say that again. I went online, I typed in the word sales and negotiation. Anything that has 300 reviews or higher, I bought them all. And then it came in, it's about 15, 20 books. And I went through them. 
And by the time it was done, I'm like, oh, my God, I'm a pretty good salesperson. To go. I mean, I got some really good tactics now. I got some strategies now. I got one from an FBI negotiator, hostage negotiator, guy that sold real estate, guy that sold technology, guy that was a lobbyist. guy. Man, I got a little bit of a complete world of how to do this. So if somebody wants to make money in today's economy and to, tomorrow's in any economy, you got to go out there and learn how to negotiate and sell. You do that, you got an advantage over your peers in the marketplace. So it's a very, very important skill set to learn right now. How about uh, teaching people not to ex uh, expect instant gratification? That's which in this country, which in this country is a problem. You're right. You're right. Absolutely. Yeah. How do you teach that? They have to experience it. Well, you know, I think it's unfortunate. I had a guy that sat over here one time. I interviewed. He was a uh, he was a guy that worked with his clients. Were he was out of Seattle. And his clients were billionaires whose kids were drug addicts and they always got everything they wanted. So I said, how do you save these kids? One of his clients was the Franklin Templeton uh, guy who's worth uh, $12 billion. And uh, out of his 16 grandkids, I don't remember the exact number. I think 13 of them were drug addicts and they had been in jail and all this other stuff. And two or three of them were okay because their entire lives, they got what? Everything they want. Yeah. Anything they want. I said, can those kids be saved? You know what his answer was? What? Very rarely. Yeah. Mm. He was just very honest about it. Now that he happened says, to me the, too. The late gratification has to start very early. Yeah. Very early. So, I mean, what are you going to do? You see some of these parents and people say, oh, you're being too tough on your kids. Are you being too tough on them? Oh, really? I'm being tough on them. Are you freaking kidding me? You realize Life is tough. tough. Life is Man, yeah, right. there's no way in the world anything is going to be as tough as life is because at least my toughness comes with love. No. So so I, I, I think, obviously, I think we've gone softer, but also at the same time, you know, I think men who are undecided, military is a good option. I think uh, women who really want to go out there and uh, uh, compete in the marketplace, go take a sales job and a negotiation job and work with one of the most craziest best negotiators in any industry work around them to just kind of listen how he does his conference calls and how they do face-to-face -face negotiation to just kind of learn the whole power plays and how things are done because two years of shadowing a great negotiator will give you a 20-year edge over your peers two years of shadowing a killer negotiator you are not the same human being no way in the world You're the you, know same human being. you know what shocked me my, so my, chief, my chief reputation officer here, she, she was at UCLA when she came over and started working with me. She was my teller at the WAMU years ago. When I met her, she was 18. When it comes on to negotiating a deal, she's number one on my list. She's 32 years old. She's not one of my oldest. She's my number one negotiator. But she's seen all the different kind of ways of I negotiate. So when she gets to work, she's there. And by the way, her husband also works here. He's right there. She's right there. I'm looking at her right now. And their kid is right now. Here, both kids are here right now. Her three-year-old son and her nine-month-old son are at the office right now when I'm looking at them. They are all, like, she, beast of a negotiator when it comes down to it. You know what surprised me? Uh, I became a father very late in life. I was 48 years old when my first son was born. Uh, four words. Everybody gets a trophy. Hmm. No matter what a kid does to compete in a sporting event, in a spelling bee, anywhere, they're all winners. And that's not a good thing. It's not true. You, ha you have to learn how to fail early and often. 
And that's not the way our society works anymore. I was, I was shocked. And everybody else, they, they, they accepted as fact. Kids, uh, there's, there's nine softball teams. The team that comes in last, they all get trophies. Instead of saying, you lost, do better next time. Let's practice. Let's do this. Let's do that. I still don't get it. That's why, I mean, the, what's going on in society, that we're rewarding kids, and then they'll lose their drive because I'm getting rewarded anyway. It's, you know, they're not going to stand out. Look, you know, to me, politically, I can see all the arguments. All of them. All of them are decent arguments on both sides. You legalize marijuana. I get both arguments. Uh, uh, gay marriage or what? Get all the arguments. Uh, Pro-life, pro-choice. There's an argument on both ends. You know, all, all these things that you go through and you see the arguments, social, social arguments, I can see both sides. There's one argument that you can't argue, and that's capitalism, because it's math. You can't argue math. You cannot say three times three is six just because it hurts your feelings because you don't want to say nine. <laughs> three times three is nine. It doesn't have nothing to do with your feelings. Look, Good analogy. Capitalism works. I was talking to a lady one time, very attractive lady. I mean, she was in her late 20s. Let's let's say she's an eight and a half, nine. Drop dead. Okay. Pretty. And she hated capitalism. And I said, let me ask you a question. Why do you, why do you not like capitalism? She says, because it's not fair for people to be so rich. Why are they so rich? I said, you think they have to share their wealth or should they choose to share their wealth? No, we have to tax them because they have to share their wealth. Oh, it's force. She says, yes. I said, do you think some people in the world are more attractive than others? Yes. I said, so do you think some people in the world, if they're more attractive than others, they should have five husbands instead of one because they're more attractive. They should share their looks with more men than just one man. Good well, analogy. That doesn't make I any like sense. Well, wait, wait, wait a minute. What do you mean it doesn't make any sense? That's not fair for you to be more attractive than us. We weren't born looking as good as you. I wasn't born with green eyes. I wasn't born with... You know, blonde hair, you're more attractive. So you should you should share your attractiveness with everybody else. That's the dumbest analogy. Because you're being forced to do something you don't want to do. We can't force people that are willing to go out there and work a little harder. It's, it's, it's Monday night here. Everybody's in quarantine. I'm at the office here. It's 7 o'clock. And I'm still going to be here for a few more hours. Most people are not wanting to do this kind of stuff at 41 years old. And I got three kids at the house and I'm playing ball. When I'm saying I'm playing ballers, I'm talking about I'm building a business. Who wants to do this stuff? Very small percentage. Maybe 1% wants to do that. And then, oh, Pat, you, you, you know, how do you run a YouTube channel and you have a wife and you have three kids and you run a company and you have investors and you have lawyers? Man, I mean, I don't know. Well, it, it takes a lot of work on when to create content and read and prepare and all this stuff. Yes, it's not easy, but it's not for everybody. It's not for everybody. So what does this mean? When it comes down to capitalism, I trust it so much because it's a mathematical formula that is proven to work. It's the reason why I've been able to become who I am today. Not because of my last name, because my last name no one knew before I did anything about it. My mom and dad owed me one thing, was to get me out of Iran and bring us to America at a better place. We went through a refugee camp in Germany until we finally made it out here. Then from there, it's on me i got to get to work and do what I can with what America offers. 
That part's on me. And so when you leave it out to capitalism, the idea isn't that the strong survive. Here's the idea. I asked the guy a question. He says, well, you know, it's the, it's the survival of the fittest. I said, bullshit. He says, what do you mean bullshit? I said, let me ask you a question. What's the difference between me and you? Well, you know, you look at you, you know, you all, you know, all this stuff. I said, let me ask you a question. When's the last time you picked up a business book and you finished it cover to cover? What does that have to do with anything? Everything. When's the last time you picked up a money book? When's the last time you read a book on finance cover to cover where you weren't forced to read it because it wasn't homework? Your point doesn't make any sense. I said, that's my point. Wow. I said, those books are accessible to all of us. The content is accessible to all of us. YouTube has a lot of great contents that can help you make better choices. But you watch cat videos or you watch prank videos or you watch music videos. Why don't you watch some business videos and see why these people think the way they do? But you refuse to do that because you'd rather Netflix and chill instead of reading and improving yourself. Listen, Johnny, when I was in the Army, I was a great guy to party with, phenomenal guy to party with because I knew how to have fun. And if you partied with me, you know how it is. If you go to the clubs with the right people, you can have a lot of fun. So I got out at 21. I was still a good guy to party with. I was a blast. Then one day, my dad has a heart attack. And I go to UCLA Medical Center. My dad's laying in bed, and the nurse is not even showing up to him. I call the nurse, hey, can you guys come take care of my dad? I will get there when we get a chance. We're busy. I said, no, no, you're going to come and come take care of my dad. He's telling me no one's been here for two hours. Uh, Sir, like I said, I'll go to him when I get a chance. I snapped. I went and started throwing things around 22, 23 years old. I lost my cool. My dad's lost 30, 40 pounds. I said, you better come and take care of him. They called the cops. They kicked me out. They said, before they kicked me out, I'll never forget what she said to my face. Sir, never forget, you're not paying for this. Taxpayers are. You don't get to decide. And I'm like, she's so freaking right. Wow. Who the hell am I to be demanding? I'm not paying for this free service. All these people that have jobs are paying for this. You're broke $49,000 in debt. They don't owe you anything. You owe them. Got in the car, my Ford Focus at the time. I cried like a little baby. And I said, never again. I'm going to go make my millions because this is never going to happen to my family. I went to work the next day. That weekend, my friends called me to go to a nightclub. I said, I'm studying. What are you studying for? I'm studying how to improve my sales skills. Pat, what the hell are you talking about? We're at the club. Everybody's waiting for you. You ain't going to see me tonight. They call me the next day. I'm not coming. They call me the next day. I'm not coming. Finally, I snapped. I said, guys, don't ever call me again about clubs. Don't call me again. I'm done. I'm playing ball. And then five years later, everything changed. You know, because I saw my dad. I said, this ain't going to happen to this guy. I think there's a lot of us out there that have the same ability, and we can do it as well. Sometimes we got to dig deep and find the right reasons. Sometimes we got to fight the right industry. But at the end of the day, you go fight the ambition and the right reasons to fight. The world's going to give you what you want. That just kinda, I, that's a law. I also <laughs> think that uh, everybody has a talent. That's everybody. I'm not making a hasty generalization, but you have to seek that talent out. You know, it's not going to come to you. You have to say, you know, I'm pretty good at this and I'm going to try harder and try harder and try harder until whatever that talent is, is going to be optimized. But if you sit on your ass and don't do anything about it, I could have, I should have, I would have when you're 80 years old. You have a very good point there, Pat. Amazing, amazing conversation. I mean, 
It's, it's I mean, the, the knowledge, and, and th- you know, it's, I, I, I've admired you since we met, but after this second interview now, how you achieved what you did, that's the American dream, and everybody has the right to it. People think they deserve it. You got to go earn it. If it was easy, everybody would do it. Right. But no, but not only that, he's given, if I were anybody listening to this show right now, if it's my sons, my grandsons, whatever, you just laid out the roadmap of success. If you're willing to do one thing, read. Don't you go make the mistakes. Read the book where the guy didn't make the mistakes and he achieved all his goals and follow him. It's really, you don't have to be creative. You have to just apply it to what you know and what you think you know and go, go, it's trial and error. But at least you're going in with some rules and know how to get to it because they did it. And if they could do it, meaning them, all those books behind you. Don't be afraid to take risks. No, it's amazing, man. You never cease to amaze me, my friend. It's 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 and I you know I love because you know I I I answer you so many times on your posting the time you spend with your family like even this this weekend I was watching with the Lego and all that the thirteen hundred pieces that's the, see that's something I never had the, uh, the opportunity to do because I was on I was in a different situation if you read my book you know I was in a different situation but that's why you know it's. It's so important. You laid the foundation. You cannot not succeed, if that makes yeah, any it, sense. Yeah, thank you very much, Patrick. That's I mean, excellent. It's, but I mean, and we just, again, most of us, we said it earlier when we first met and second met here, none of this is planned. We just did it. And with mm-hmm. a guy like you to give this kind of knowledge. In fact, I'm going to show every one of my kids. Anybody asks me how to be successful, I'm going to say, just watch this segment. Listen <laughs> to this man. And that's it. you got the ground rules of success. And it's so simple. People don't realize, well, I don't have the money to go to school. I didn't do this. I didn't do that. It's not a gift. You already have the gift. It's knowledge. You know, you know, you know what else is even bigger than that, though. Here, here's the other part that's bigger than that. You know how you go to movies and you watch a movie. Like, pick any movie. You watch Rocky for the next hour. You think you're Rocky. You know, you you go watch Godfather. You think you're part of the family for the next hour or two. You go watch Gladiator, and you see Russell Crowe. You know. Maximus, and he goes and gains his redemption on what they did to his wife and kids. For the next two hours, you you feel like that, you know? And, and, and a big part of that is because deep down inside of us, we connect with that. That is us. It's not, we're not just watching it for entertainment purposes. We watch them, we say, I don't know, man, I, I just think I have it in me to go out there and do something special with my life. But from there we're quick to forget. And I think sometimes one of the best things we could do is to constantly re-remind ourselves that we have dreams. That's the gas station. You know, that's the gas tank. You go and fill up the tank with your dreams. It gives you another week of focus. It gives you another month of focus. It gives you another three days of focus. But if you go out there and try to go out there and do something big, 
and you don't fill up the tank with your dreams constantly, why would you put your body through so much pain? It's not worth it. The, the biggest thing is to sit there and close your eyes and just say, hey, man, one day, what if one day, what if one day I'm going home and I'm going through the gate and the security says, hey, Mr. Johnson, how are you? Great. How's the family? Excellent. And I go in and I drive up all the way to the last house. And the last house, I open the door and I go in. My dogs are running up to me. I open the door. You know, my kids running up to me and I'm listening to the music playing with Sade, Cherish the Day. And I go have a glass of wine and food is cooked and it smells so good and music is playing and I'm in the back and I'm listening to the water of the pool and a view and and one day I go and watch my kids grab I me mean, you gotta it's all the dream what if one day I'm watching and getting being in a movie Godfather that's going to be remembered a thousand years from now and I go hustle my way through Costello and all those guys and I tell them the only way I'm going to make this happen what if one everything is about dreams that's right, everything man. is about this thing called dreams and it's so fundamental that we forget about it. It's so fundamental. And sometimes if other people don't do it to us, we have to do it. And sometimes if other people aren't doing it to the people around us, whether it's our kids, our wives, our... My dad, I went to my dad. My dad's 75 years old. I pulled him aside. I said, Dad, what are some of the things you want to do in your life? You got to start telling me. He says, what do you mean? I said, what do you want to do? And one day he calls me. He says, hey, this weekend's the U.S. Open. I want to see Nadal play. He's my favorite guy to watch. I said, you like tennis? Yes. Since when you like tennis? I always watch tennis. You want to go to the Open? Yes. Pack the bags. Let's go. Get him on a plane. We go to New York. We watch Nadal play. He's sitting right next to Bill Gates. I do Snapchat with him where he makes his prediction. Snapchat picks it up. It gets 600,000 views. His best friend's kids are telling him, hey, uh, Dad, your friend Gabriel's on Snapchat. He got picked up for his prediction. He's like, what the hell is going on? I said, Dad, you, just because you're 77 years old, man, you got dreams. What do you want to do? Let's go do them together. It's not just dreaming here. It's dreaming up with your parents and your grandparents. It's dreaming like this with your siblings and your friends. It's dreaming down with your kids. It's all about talking about the dream. It's a language. It's like learning how to speak Spanish. The dream language is a Spanish that some of us spoke it eloquently when we were kids, and we forgot about that language. But that language is in us. And sometimes we got to just bring it back. You look at anybody that became a president, they spoke the language of dreams. And anybody that didn't eventually just spoke the language of logic. And logic doesn't move people. Dreams do. Sometimes we just got to go back to the dream language. It's that powerful. Well, I want to end on that note. You've been an amazing guest with us. And a dream is all I've done all my life. Anybody knows me. I'm still dreaming. And... Uh, but thank you for this advice and your friendship and sharing this with our audience. And God bless yeah, you. Yeah, Patrick, you are an incredible mind and an amazing speaker. So it's been an honor to talk with you. Thank hey, you thanks much. for having yeah, me, guys. Yeah, I've really Patrick, enjoyed it. Yeah, Patrick, thank you so much. Have a good night. Thanks All for right. having me. Thank you. Please. Thank you. All right. It's time for the mailbag. All right, let's go to it. So first is a message from John. John says, I just wanted to say, as a kid who grew up in Brooklyn in the late 50s and 60s, and being around the mob, I really enjoy the stories. When I returned from Vietnam, I decided to become an NYC cop and did not return to who I was prior to being drafted. I served with the NYPD for 25 years, many stories, in Brooklyn precincts. I just finished writing my first book on my experience, a tell-all, as a tanker in Vietnam and the units I served with that very active. I wanted to know, as a first-time writer, 
what would be the best approach to getting my book published? I sure would like your professional advice as I'm getting conflicting information. Your advice would be greatly appreciated. P.S. The job sure has changed. Okay. Pat's the guy. Pat's got all the answers right now. And uh, a uh, former NYPD cop, get a hold of me privately and I will help you. There you go. Wow. Wow, that's very nice. I'm on Facebook. Uh, Friend me. Private message me. We'll exchange emails and phone numbers and I will help you. Promise. And and remind remind him where he heard your name in the mailbag. Mm-hmm. On the podcast, yeah, because yeah, I get a lot bag. of requests. Yeah, no, I, I'll definitely help them because you can't do this on your own. Mm. All right, John, there you go. Get in touch with Pat. All right, next one is from the Newberg Kid. He says, "I was reading online that the NYPD says the mob is hurting financially as a result of the coronavirus due to the shutdown of sporting events, restaurants, etc. What is your opinion of this? How does the mob make up the money they're lo- they're losing? Fantastic podcast. I'm learning a lot." Well, that's great. Well, seeing how uh, flexible or uh, what is it, diversified they are, what do you think, Pat? You've been on the streets. Well, as as uh, you you and I know that uh, the main source of income for organized crime is gambling. There are no sports. There is nothing. So that's gone. And the second on the list is the restaurant business, shakedowns, whatever. And, of course, there's always construction. Both of those are gone. So I don't expect to see any of these OC guys on the uh, uh, unemployment line anytime soon. So they're going to have to uh, get their profits elsewhere. I'm thinking. I'm thinking. I I hate to say this, because in these kind of times, I think Shylock business is going to be very strong. So do I. I was going to say that. That 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 may increase three hundred percent, and you just got to see how many points you get. Shylocking, for those of you who've lived under a rock, that's lending money at high interest rates. Yeah. yeah. So that, okay. that that probably going to really increase at this point. Oh, yeah. Particularly to the restaurants. Yeah. All right. Next one is from Ralph. Ralph said, I've seen The Godfather 1 and 2 movies so many times I can recite most of the dialogue. I've also been scrutinizing the extras to see if any of them went on to fame and fortune. Did you know that Emmy Award-winning actor John Larroquette had a non-speaking part in Godfather 1? Did you know that, Gianni? No, no. Yep. The scene where uh, Michael Corleone just arrives in Vegas uh, to, to meet with his, uh, with his uh, brother and the Mo Dalen's character, he's no. walking out of the elevator down the aisle to go into the suite, and the bellhop is John Larroquette. Doesn't say a word, just got his bags. That's it. How do you know that? Because I watched the movie 140 times. So how do you know so like, John so Larroquette? Like 40 years it. old, different? That's wild. I mean, he, he looked like he was like 23, but that's John Larroquette. Okay. Who is John Larroquette? John Larroquette played, he had a big part in uh, a sitcom called uh, Night Court. He had his own uh, uh, television series. He's won numerous Emmys for Night Court. If you saw his, his picture, you know who he is. He's in the seventies now. Yeah, we okay. have to be. Yeah, but that's that's just one actor that I picked out. That's wild. Uh, you know, watching it numerous times, and who knows who else? The crowd scenes. Who knows? I'll, I'll give you one. What? Who Who was my ring bearer in my wedding? Who became a major actor? Oh, that's a good one. Who? Nicholas Cage. No really? way. Ah, I got both of you Wait, on that one. Why have we never heard of that before? Because his uncle's Francis Ford Coppola. 
and he went by his other name, his mother's name, uh, yeah, his, his mother's maiden name, Cage. Wow. What? Yeah. It's my, now, now, you know, now I have to watch it for the 150 You know, it's so funny because it's really funny because uh, we were doing a movie together called A Family Man, and uh, Brett Ratner produced and directed that, and Brett said, come on, I want to introduce you to Nicolas Cage. And I said, are you kidding, right? He's why? Because it was my first day on the set. I, anybody see Family Man? I love that family. No, Nic no. Nicholas Cage. It's like uh, that, that one Christmas movie that plays all the time. You yeah. know, it's a, a Wonderful world, Life or something like it's that. It's a Wonderful Life, yeah. And this is this is Nicholas Cage, who had a girlfriend and didn't pursue her. He becomes an entrepreneur, a big major guy in the stock world, and you gotta. Read. I mean, I mean, look at it. It's every every Christmas. It plays all oh, over the place. I'll definitely check it out. But he was our my ring bearer at the wedding. He had a little white suit, white shorts. Wow. He's and that's the, because he's related to the Coppolas. Yeah, they. I had everybody's kids. We brought everybody on. But obviously, being at his aunt and uncle Francis' mother was there on the set every right. day. Carmine and his mother, but. No, he's the he's in the wedding picture. The only time you see him, or you see him running around in the film with the yeah. kids at the wedding, but he's in the white shorts in the wedding picture. I'll look for him. Yeah, come. You said hello. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. Next one is from Alfredo. Alfredo says, "I just read Hollywood Godfather. Great book. In it, you mentioned that you supplied the orchestra that performed at your real wedding for the wedding scene at the beginning of the movie. Was the old guy who sang part of the package? If not, do you know who he was? Yeah, I know everybody there. Nino, Morel, Nino Morielli and his brother had an orchestra on Staten Island. And in fact, Nino Morielli played at my first wedding in my real wedding, <laughs> which is so crazy. And mm -hmm. that Italian guy and all the people that was doing what they did. My grandfather used to have a feast later at Mont Carmel on July 16th, and these people were regulars there. So I just called my uncle. I said, I need all those people and be on The Godfather. Oh, they loved it. And who was that old guy who sang? Yeah, that's the guy, Chicho. He's from the neighborhood, from Rosebank. Okay, because he was ancient then. He oh, yeah. Like he was, he was oh, he's, not, he's definitely not around. <laughs> really? He looked like he was 95. Yeah, okay. He's definitely not around. Let's 105 to 150. Yeah. You have to be. Oh my gosh. No, my I, I was helpful with all of that. Even La Rosa's Bakery, who made the, the wedding cake. Yeah. They, uh, that's in the book. We yeah, that. that's right. We have that in the book. Yeah. Hmm. It's a good book. <laughs> yeah. All right, I'm gonna read it. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Next one is from Whitey. Whitey says. Do you know if the mob is high-tech enough to have places swept for hidden microphones or use other technology like lie detectors? Are you kidding? You guys have a fantastic podcast. Well, Look forward to it every week. Well, what they, do you think? they got more technology musical. They had it. Yeah, I was asked to do... Uh, well, I, I don't do sweeps for, for bugs. That's not my area of expertise. But as a PI and a polygraph person, well, lie detectors are polygraph. Uh, I was asked by a guy who owned a hotel in uh, Bushwick. They were having a theft problem. They wanted to find the thief, and I'll be able to find the thief. I'll just polygraph everybody till I get the guy, and then I'm thinking, what happens when I find them? Hello. <laughs> What's going to happen to this guy? So I, I turned that down. Yeah. I don't know if, if, if they got anybody No, but they, they've been doing sweeps many, many, long before anybody even thought about it. They were always worried about bugs. And, 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 and the Gotti movie, 
even the one for television, when they started using Mary's apartment, two stories up on a Ravenite, that's why they went up there for meetings, and the FBI over there was watching people go in, they hear them hug and kiss, then all of a sudden, where'd they go? They went upstairs, mm. which wasn't bugged. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So mm. it wasn't too smart doing that because they'd come down and they'd kiss goodbye and say, well, where'd they go for an hour? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I wouldn't do polygraph. I mean, I, I actually got scared. I said, what happens if I turn this down? Uh, but I turned it down. I said, uh, if I catch the guy, you know, who knows what's going to become of him? Right. You know, so that was, that was the end of that. Yeah. Mm. All right. So next one is from Marianne. This one's for me. Marianne says, I can understand that working with Gianni and Patrick must be an eye-opening experience due to some of the content of the shows. Has your view of the world changed? Have you developed any amount of cynicism after hearing what some people are capable of? Love your podcast. Hmm. Well, I would certainly say it's an eye-opening experience. (laughs) (laughs) To Um, say the least. Especially with your background. Oh, my God. (laughs) My view of the world... Go ahead. I said, we haven't jaded you, have we? No, I don't think so. My view of the world hasn't changed. I've obviously become more educated. More but aware. Yes, more aware. Yeah. But, you know, I've seen shows like 2020, 60 Minutes, you know, Law & Order SVU. I know what people are capable of. I'm definitely hearing it in a more, um, you know, I, I like different light, you very hands-on. Well, always stay the sweet, smiling person you are today. That's oh, well, thank you. Because I, I don't want to say one day, hey, Megan, how you doing? And you say, what's it to you? <laughs> and I'll know we went too far. Yeah, I don't think that day is going to come. So I think okay. we're all good. Okay. Yeah. Just Excellent. a fun learning experience. Great. With a couple twists. There you go. <laughs> all right. That's it. That's all we have for tonight. All right. Well, okay. thank you all. Before we say goodbye, we always say the same thing. We love you tuning in. We love your loyalty to us. We need you to share and tell more people. We want to increase our followers. We're going into our fourth season. I can't believe it. Yeah, we're getting close. Getting yeah, or close we're there now. Yeah. yeah. So with that, we'll say goodnight. God bless you all. Stay safe in this crazy world. If you're feeling you, sad and there's a service I could render. I'm the one who loves you only. I could be so warm, so tender. Call me. Don't be afraid. You can call me. Maybe it's late, but just call me. Tell me and I'll be wrong. Or when it seems your friends desert you. Thank you for tuning in to the Hollywood Godfather podcast. You can contact Gianni Russo, Patrick Picciarelli, or myself with your questions and comments through the contact section of our website, hollywoodgodfatherpodcast.com. You can also call and leave us a message at 646-776-3038. Regarding Gianni's motivational speaking appearances, you can visit his website, giannirusso.com. You can also visit amazon.com for a listing of books Patrick Picciarelli has written. Remember to follow us on Instagram at Hollywood Godfather Podcast, as well as leave us a review on iTunes. If you'd like to know what you like about what we're doing, what you'd like to hear in the future, and anything else you might suggest to improve our podcast. Most importantly, hit the subscribe button. We'll be back next week with stories of the mob and Hollywood, as well as answers to your emails and voicemails. Good night.